Sloth Uni. We're so close to training camp, and that just means we're one step closer to the season actually starting. Football season is officially about to be upon us. We won't have to deal with the fake news like Zach Wilson cheating on his girlfriend with his mom's friend making headlines anymore. We'll actually have some real football news flowing in. That is if you follow team beat writers who often make articles and live tweets of the camp activities. If you don't, I highly recommend it. It's hard finding people with good opinions, but I usually try to stick to people who tell it how it is without selling hope to helpless fans. Of course, I personally will be tweeting out updates on camp that I believe to be noteworthy and giving my opinion on things, so tune in for that. But let's get into the show we have today. The first two parts of this series contain all four divisions of the AFC, and in this part, we got the NFC stepping up to the plate. Since the NFC has so much less going on than the AFC, we'll be able to cover the whole conference in just this one part. We won't be going into depth with every team because they either don't have anything to watch in camp, more so this season, or they just have injuries to watch for. We'll be covering the players who are returning from injury as there's quite a few of them in this conference. Anyways, this has been a long intro, so without further ado, grab some grub, get comfortable, and bring out the tinfoil hats, because class is now in session. After a last dance season between Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams, the Packers seem to be going in a different direction with their offense. To me personally, it appears they're going a bit more run heavy and will have an offense closer to what we've seen the Colts run. Like many of the teams we covered, the Cheeseheads have battles to watch a wide receiver and running back. The running back battle isn't really a battle per se, just more watching how the snap percentage is looking because this will be a two-headed backfield. We're just looking out to see how involved each running back will be. With the departure of Devontae Adams, he left 169 vacated targets in his wake. That's a crap ton of targets, especially for a team with no clear number one option to take his mantle. Running back Aaron Jones, who is often used in the passing game, figures to gain a lot more work through the air this year to make up for some of those targets. AJ Dillon will probably get a bit more work in that area as well, but I suspect he'll have a bit more boost in carries than anything. If there's reports that the Packers scheme is shifting to more run-centered attack, then both backs will have quite a lot of value. They were already both valuable, but with more work, you could be looking at two top 20 running backs in one backfield. If the Packers do choose to live and die off the arm of Aaron Rodgers, though, one of these wide receivers is going to go and have a monster year. At the very least, they're going to have a really decent season. Alan Lazard and Christian Watson are the two favorites to win the position of Aaron Rodgers' trusty, dusty target monster. Watson is the least likely of the two, in my opinion, to win a job based on how Rodgers has operated with his wideouts. He tends to favor pass catchers that he's had experience with rather than rookies. Watson is very talented but reminds me more of a Rob Marquez Valdez-Scantling. I think he'll have a decent season but it may take him a bit of time to get adjusted to the league. Alan Lazard though is someone who a lot of people are sleeping on. Rodgers has already stated he's ready to see the offense operating with Lazard as the one. But nobody's talking about that statement and just swept it under the rug. Lazard has already had some really great games and fastest potential just as Devontae Adams once did. And not saying he's going to be as productive as him, but Lazard has some real talent. If he has the trust of Aaron Rodgers, he has my trust. Rodgers definitely likes to play favorites, and it looks like he's got a new butt buddy. Next up, we got the Lions. Yes, we're still going in order of the standings. The Vikings and the Bears just don't have any notable things going on in camp other than watching the development of Justin Fields. I know what you're thinking though. What could the Lions possibly have going on that those teams don't? Well, nothing really, other than watching how Amon Ross St. Brown develops in his second season. The reason the Lions have their own segment is because their new first round wide receiver is on injury watch. Jamison Williams tore his ACL in the national championship game and is a candidate to start the season on the pup list. 
I personally don't believe he'll start the season or even participate in camp given the recovery for a torn ACL, but it's definitely something to monitor. St. Brown could be in line for a nice start to the season with his only competition for targets at the wide receiver position being DJ Chark. Who respectfully is very good, but considering his quarterback, the wide receiver room, and the Lions spending very high draft capital on a wide receiver, I don't think he'll have too big of a role in this offense. I could be wrong though. Should Jamison somehow find a way to participate in camp, it'll likely be in a very limited fashion. By the grace of the gods if he manages to start the season healthy, you'd have to wait until the regular season to see how the target share is split between the three. Based on past report, I think St. Brown will at bare minimum start the season as the one. If Williams turns out to be a stud, he could very well take over, but I doubt it'd be early on considering he's a rookie and he's in his first year back from an ACL tear. Taking another mosey on down to the dirty south of the NFC this time. We've got the Buccaneers up first, for fairness of course. Just as the Lions though, they're on here for their wounded because this team already has very much established roles. The only thing I can think of offensively from this team is if Brady has finally lost his battle with Father Time, which I highly doubt he'll have returned for another season if he was just going to be washed. But you never know. Last we saw the guy, he was playing some of the best football in his career. But career decline comes fast and it comes hard. So be on the lookout just to be on the safe side. Now for the real reason we're here. Another torn ACL. Wide receiver Chris Godwin tore his ACL in week 15 and could very well start the season on the pup list as well. Just a reminder, if you're placed on a pup list before the season starts, you have to stay there at bare minimum the first six weeks of the season. Given his timeline for return, there's a chance he starts the season healthy. But I really doubt he'll participate in camp. If he's making great time, he may be good to go for week one, but I really don't think they'd rush his recovery. Before we move on to the next scene, I do want to address that the Bucks running back Leonard Fournette has been reportedly showing up to OTAs and minicamps a little overweight. This is slightly normal for players because with the high intensity training they go through between OTAs and the regular season, he'll be in game day shape by week one if he trains and is consistent. Which by all accounts, it seems he is. Finally, we have a team with some actual camp entertainment. But first, they also have an injured warrior we'll start off with and segue into the camp stuff. Star wide receiver Michael Thomas of the New Orleans Saints was expected to make his debut back from injury this season after two long, 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 long years. He's been recovering from multiple injuries and surgeries and re-injuries and surgeries from those re-injuries. And we don't know if he'll be the same caliber player when he does return. Reports have literally just come out that the Saints are placing him on the pup list which means he's missing training camp and at least six weeks to the season. This is not good news for someone who had ample time to recover from these injuries. For fantasy football players, I'd be fading him in all drafts. When and if he returns this season, who knows how he'll look after so long away from the game. These injuries have clearly taken a lot more of a toll on his body than many initially thought. It's going on three years of recovery from multiple injuries and surgeries. I want no part in owning him in any leagues, especially with his being very similar to what happened last year. But with Thomas to spend almost half the season on a pup, that leaves newly drafted wide receiver Chris Olave an opportunity to gain report with quarterback James Winston. I love the Olave coming out of college and I think he has the potential to be a star given the opportunity. His productiveness season long is highly dependent on the health of Michael Thomas though, because should Michael Thomas come back healthy, Olave will likely be either the second or even the third option. The Saints signed wide receiver Jarvis Landry this offseason is an under-the-radar move. Landry is a damn good wide receiver and shouldn't be underrated. He could easily steal away the second option or hell even the first option. The target split between Olave and Landry will be the main event in New Orleans. They'll both have ample opportunity to see who wants it more too. 
This next piece of information about this team isn't about camps or any injuries, but it's something worth monitoring. Running back Alvin Kamara currently has assault allegations along with some other players going on. The league is awaiting for the court cases to play out before deciding if they'll suspend anyone. Should Kamara be convicted, he'll likely face a suspension, so be on the lookout for updates on that. Surprisingly, the Falcons are very interesting to me this year. They have an ascending tight end in Kyle Pitts to watch in development. My second favorite wide receiver in the draft this year and who I have pegs to go number one off the boards of his position in Drake London. And they also have a man who somehow beat the odds and had a comeback late in his career in a position change in Cordero Patterson. And to top it all off, this team is being led by Marcus Mariota, who had his job jipped by Ryan Tannehill. Kyle Pitts had one of the best rookie tight end seasons of all time. This was partly due to him being one of the only notable targets that the team had to offer, other than Cordero Patterson. It'll be very key to see if he stays the team's top option or if Drake London seems to be taken over. I doubt both of them will be extremely productive, so whoever wins out as the top option will be very important to watch. Both are very talented, but I don't think Marcus Mariota can produce two productive pass catchers. I also don't think either of these guys will just have a stinker of a season, so the most likely option is a 1A-1B situation. This is a little bit of a spicy take, but if it's indeed a split like that, I don't believe either of those two hit 1K yards. I think they'll both have very similar yardage totals, but will narrowly miss that marker. If anybody were to take the top spot though, I'd put my money on Drake London. Should he take firm hold, he could have the best season out of all the rookie wideouts. The other thing to watch out for on his team is if Cordero Patterson looks like he's still productive or if Father Time caught another victim. He's 31 years old and had an unprecedented late career resurgence, so many are predicting he was a one season wonder, but if he's legitimately found his niche, he could be in line for another productive season. The Carolina Panthers have quite possibly the stinkiest camp battle you'll ever see. Baker Mayfield versus Sam Darnold is going to be in full effect very soon. I've never been the biggest fan of Darnold, so my bets are on Baker to win. The Panthers now possess the number one and number three overall picks of the 2018 draft class. Two years ago, you think they were in a better position than what they are now, but that's just how the league goes. Darnold should have the upper hand as he's been the starter for the team and already knows the playbook, so he should be running with the ones to start the camp. But Baker could quickly start running with the ones should he impress his coaching staff early on. He was head and shoulders over Darnold before he sustained the shoulder injury that derailed his season. While Baker may never be an elite quarterback in this league, he can still have a very successful career. He's been mildly successful with the Browns and has found himself on another good football team. The Panthers are a sleeper team and can make ways if they get successful quarterback play this year. While I do think Baker will win this battle, it should be noted that Darnold looked a lot better than how he did on the Jets in the few games pre-injury last season that he played with the Panthers. But still, I'd be very surprised if he won the battle over Baker. If he did though, he could very well be in line for a good season. Not great. Good. Baker Mayfield isn't a complete scrub, so if Darnold wins over him, that's a good sign for his development. Regardless of who wins though, this team will be fighting for a wildcard spot should they be competitive, because unless Brady is washed or gets hurt, the Bucks are more than likely taking this division home. Now I've been doing a lot of thinking on this Rams offense and their potential this upcoming season. There's going to be a lot of change to this offense that just went to the Super Bowl and won this past season. They lost Robert Woods, Odell Beckham Jr., and Tyler Higby, but they've acquired Allen Robinson and have Cam Akers coming back from an Achilles injury. Yes, I'm well aware of Cam Akers played in the playoff run, but he was fresh off an Achilles injury, and now he's had a whole offseason of recovery. We'll come back to the A-Rob part in a minute because I've had an epiphany on my previous Cam Akers take. I was once on the side of believers that an Achilles tear for running back was the destroyer of careers, as it has been for most all backs in the past. Akers has a chance to break the cycle since he's only 23 and still very early in his career. The Rams also showed that they were very willing to feed him a very sizable workload even when he was fresh out of his recovery. He came back extremely early after a fast recovery and they wasted no time getting him involved in the offense. 
It's a very good sign. They should give him every chance to be the workhorse yet again this year, and while he didn't look awfully good in his time back from the injury, he'll have an entire offseason, like I said, to get right. He's an extremely talented runner, and after being out on Acres for 2022, I'm a bit more optimistic on his return to form. Though should he still underperform, the Rams have Daryl Henderson, who performed very well in Cam Akers' stead in the previous season. On Allen Robinson, he has a clear path to being the Rams' second option, and in previous years, that has been a very valuable position. Seeing Robert Woods for multiple years and Odell this previous year have a good amount of success in his role gives you hope for Allen Robinson returning to glory, at least partly. But his performance last season left a bad taste in many people's mouths. To be all in on Allen Robinson this season, you have to pretty much ignore his play on the field last year. There's a chance his career path is on a downward trend, but it's entirely possible he was just dealing with injuries and mentally checked out last season. It should be noted that he played on the franchise tag after being very vocal about not wanting to. The Rams took a chance on him, and I feel like there's still a bit more tread left on his tires. I think we're done seeing the elite days of A-Rob, but he can definitely carve out a nice role on this offense. I mean, if AJ Green can do it on the Cardinals, why can't Allen Robinson? Speaking of the Cardinals, I've been on the Cardinals hype train since they drafted Kyler, one of my absolute favorite quarterback prospects coming out of college. But after his rookie season, I was convinced of one thing. The Cardinals could be in store for big things, but Cliff Kingsbury was very clearly holding his team back. In his first year, I chalked it up to him being in a first year head coach and just learning the game. Since then, he's continued to hold the team back with his late season play calling and lack of adjustments during the game and in the season. I know this intro isn't even about training camp, but I just had to get this off my chest because it's been ticking me off. The Cardinals have started off extremely well and got off the fast starts, but have fizzled out to a halt as the season progressed. This team has so much potential and is home of one of my favorite quarterbacks in the game right now. But until Cliff Kingsbury takes the next step in his development as a head coach, the Cardinals will amount to nothing. Or if they replace him. They have all the potential and all the talent to make it to the Super Bowl, starting with their wide receiver core, which just got Hollywood Brown added to it this season. Hollywood Brown and Kyler Murray previously played together in college, so they have an established connection, not to mention they were lighting it up on the field. Hollywood figures to be the top target for this offense, but the second option will likely emerge in camp, with Zach Ertz, AJ Green, and Rondell Moore all battling for the spot. I believe second year wideout Rondell Moore will win out in this spot, but everybody will be pushed back a spot though, when DeAndre Hopkins comes back from suspension. Hopefully the injection of D-Hop midseason to this team will be enough to keep their hot streak alive, or if they stumble out of the gates, it could lift them back up. Other than the wide receivers, there really isn't much to watch out in camp for this team. I will note though that the Cardinals have used a two-man platoon in the past, so look out for who could be stepping up into this role this year if they deploy another committee. The team just signed Darrell Williams for the Chiefs, and they also have Eno Benjamin who was previously with the team and has been raved about by Cliff Kingsbury. I think Eno Benjamin should win out as Chase Edmonds' replacement, but there's always a chance that James Conner gets all the work. The only noteworthy stuff about the 49ers camp, other than Trey Lance's development, is players on the trade block. Starting off with the one I doubt who will get moved, Debo Samuel. While the 49ers have Brandon Ayuk, who is a very good wide receiver and who I'm also a big fan of, they'd be idiots to part ways with Debo, who is just as much of a candidate to be the next best wide receiver in the league is Justin Jefferson or Jamar Chase. He always had the talent, but his career just started off injury riddled. He wouldn't be the first player to overcome early career injuries, beat the injury prone allegations, and go on to have a successful career. Keenan Allen is literally the first one that comes to my mind who did that. And had Debo been used as a pure wide receiver the entire season, he could have very well led the league in receiving yards. 
The 49ers have already said they have zero interest in trading Debo, and while teams lie all the time, I believe them. I'm not 100% sure what's going on, but I do know that they're doing everything they can to sort everything out and retain him. At least they should be. Moving on to the player who will definitely be on the move to a new team soon, the 49ers just gave Jimmy Garoppolo's team the green light to seek out trade options. While the top teams lining up will probably be the Seahawks, Giants, and Falcons for obvious reasons, I wouldn't count out the Steelers and the Colts for some under the radar options. Jimmy G is a clear upgrade on both those teams and would easily push both of them back into playoff contention. I know people love themselves some Matt Ryan, but at this point in both their careers, I'm taking Jimmy over him. I know it's popular to shit on Jimmy and say he's not that guy, and I agree, he's not that guy. But you can't ignore the success that he's had, and he's still a very good quarterback. Those are hard to find. The Steelers should also definitely go after him. They'd automatically go from fighting to wildcard spots to Super Bowl contenders. I doubt they'll even make the playoffs with their team as is, but with Jimmy, they can push to win their division. Contrary to popular belief, Jimmy G is a big chess piece that could shift the tides of a team and he's about to be on the move. Listen, I know I said earlier that the Texans and the Panthers may be home to the stinkiest camp battle, but that was before I remembered this team we have coming up next. The Seattle Seahawks have an upcoming quarterback battle between Geno Smith and Drew Locke. May Jimmy G be in their future because dear lord I'm praying for these fans. I know just how painful it is to experience a full season of having a quarterback you have absolutely no faith in. I have no clue who will come out on top of this battle and frankly I don't really care. They're a lottery pick either way it goes. The only camp battle this team really has to offer and I wouldn't even consider this a battle since the team came out and said one of these guys will get most of the work already is between Rashad Penny and Kenneth Walker. The only reason this is even getting buzzed is because people love to hype up rookies on every team. Rashad Penny was extremely successful to end the season and the Seahawks look to be building on that. Kenneth Walker was more than likely drafted because their running back Chris Carson is dealing with a career-threatening neck injury and they needed another running back for death purposes and in case Penny gets hurt, which in his case has been pretty often to start his career. I'll mainly just be looking out for how Kenneth Walker looks. He may not even have too much value unless there's an injury to Penny, which to be fair has happened very often. But coming up last, and quite possibly not least anymore, we have the NFC East. Skipping past America's team because there isn't anything going on in camp that will change my views on that team. The Eagles on the other hand also don't have much going on. There's really just one battle and we won't go too much in depth because the result is almost too obvious, but there's still a chance for somebody to surprise. The battle for the number one pass catch from the Eagles will be underway in Philly. Whether it's AJ Brown or Devontae Smith, both will have value for fantasy. The main thing I'll be looking for is a clear pecking order or a 1A, 1B situation. AJ Brown figures to lead the team in targets, but I definitely wouldn't count Smith out. Next up, we have another team that doesn't really have too much going on, but something absolutely worth mentioning is the Washington Commanders running back room. JD McKissick already has his role solidified on the team, and I doubt he'd have even come back to the team after blowing off the Bills if it wasn't. Antonio Gibson, on the other hand, may be about to start fighting for his life. Ron Rivera has to be the most agitating head coach in the league. A year ago, he had us all hot and bothered saying Antonio Gibson was going to be used in a CMC role and will be seeing a lot more work. And then he proceeded to deploy a two-man committee with him and McKissick. He then drafted Brian Robinson and is saying he plans to utilize a three-headed backfield. You know, maybe this time he's lying again and Robinson will be a non-factor and Antonio Gibson is going to set the league ablaze. He has all the talent and ability to do so, but injuries and opportunity have held him back. 
I've been all in on Gibson this whole offseason, and I have him pegged as a top 15 running back, but if Robinson will have a serious role in this offense, I'm out on Gibson. Last up, we have the New York Football Giants. This may be Daniel Jones' last season to prove he has what it takes to lead this football team. Or at least it should be. I don't have too high expectations for this team, mainly because of the quarterback, but I just hope if they do struggle, it doesn't make management look down on Brian Dable for it. I think he'll be great as a head coach, but this won't be the season he shows it. The Giants have a few things to watch for in camp. They don't require much digging into since there's really no battles going on, just notable things. Before I start off, I just want to point out that the Giants have the potential to be a fantasy goldmine. They have a very nice offensive core in Kenny Galladay, Kadarius Toney, Sterling Shepard, and Saquon Barkley. They have one of my favorite offensive minds, who I have a ton of respect for, in Brian Dable. The only problem is, is that Daniel Jones has been extremely underwhelming in his time in the league. If anybody can turn him around though, it's gotta be Dable. If he can't, then there will be some other young bloke taking the reins of this team after this next season. Now let's get into this camp stuff. Daniel Jones' favorite target in Sterling Shepard is recovering from a week 15 Achilles injury. He's been the most productive receiver when he's on the field, and Jones looks best when he's active. Sadly for the Giants though, his timeline for recovery places him as a pupless candidate. That leaves Kenny G and Kadarius Tony to duke it out for the top spot in his absence. Kenny was paid a fat check to be the Giants' star wideout, but has yet to even score a touchdown since signing with the team. Underperformed would be an understatement for his Giants career so far. He's still very talented and was dealing with a lot of injuries last year. I like him as a potential bounce back candidate in what should be a much improved offensive scheme. Kadarius Tony, on the other hand, came into the league guns blazing, having a breakout game in his first call to action. After his huge game, he proceeded to do a whole bunch of nothing. He may have had one more game after that, but it wasn't as spectacular. Reports from early OTAs that he's moving to operate on the outside along with Kenny, so there's a chance he could be getting used to his full potential. He has lots of talent and could definitely take over this wide receiver core, but if I had to put money down on either of them, I'd take my money to a better bet because it's a coin flip in my opinion. I'll still be watching them both very closely to see who wins out the job because the top option has the potential to finish within the top 20 of wide receivers, just based off of opportunity. And with that, we've wrapped up covering all of the upcoming camp battles you should be paying attention to this offseason. If we didn't cover your favorite team, tell them to have more going on in training camp. But seriously though, it's honestly a good thing if you don't have much going on for training camp. It means you already have solidified positions in place and your team is just focusing on getting better in that system. Continuity is one of the biggest factors to success in the NFL and it gives you such a huge start over teams that are putting new systems and people in place. Also, just because a team is setting up new things doesn't mean they'll have a bad season or that they'll even start off slow. That's part of the reason we use training camp and the preseason to determine how teams will look in the regular season. The Raiders were the first team to fully start up their camp and by this time next week, all teams will be in full go. The preseason is about two weeks away, so we're almost fully back, baby. And while I gave you all many things to watch out for during this time period, it's very important to take all the information that comes out about these players with a grain of salt. There is, and always has been, preseason and camp warriors who show out during practice, but once those 60 minutes start, those lights start shining, they start to fold. I'll do my best to keep you all informed to help weed out the real and the fake, so stay tuned for the next few episodes where we go over top camp performers, some betting odds for preseason, and predictions for the regular season. As always, if you enjoyed, leave a like, comment, and subscribe. And don't forget to check out our Twitter at Sloth University and our TikTok using the same handle for some extracurricular activities. Most importantly, stay safe and spread love. Class dismissed. All right, kid, here's the deal. At any given time, there are around 1,500 aliens on the planet, most of them right here in Manhattan. 
And most of them are decent enough. They're just trying to make a living. Cab drivers. Uh, not as many as you'd think. Humans, for the most part, don't have a clue. They don't want one or need one either. They're happy. They think they have a good bead on things. But why, why the big secret? People are smart. They can handle it. The person is smart. People are dumb, panicky, dangerous animals, and you know it. 1,500 years ago, everybody knew the Earth was the center of the universe. 500 years ago, everybody knew the Earth was flat. And 15 minutes ago, you knew that people were alone on this planet. Imagine what you'll know tomorrow.